2030, you jump in your car. You're running late for work. It starts taking you to work. Isn't that great? But suddenly, suddenly, it hops right off the interstate. But moments later, lightning strikes smack dab in the middle of the interstate. Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. This week, we're going to be talking about the need for micro forecast. Do we really need them? But before we get into the main topic, hope your weather week's going well. Mine's been an up and down, hot and cold. Yeah, cold's a strong word. Hot and normal, <laughs> and it's going to get hot again. And uh, the heat, that's been a big story here in the U.S. I know we're not the only place either. Uh, you know, was a big deal. Heat waves in the Pacific Northwest, temperatures they had not seen before in some cases. Stretched into Canada. Canada reached, I think it was 50 C. Uh, so for those of you speaking Fahrenheit, about 120, a little, little more than that maybe, in that vicinity. And of course, that's triggered forest fires. Everything's hot and dry. But similar thing happened in Siberia. Arctic Circle reached, I want to say, I don't remember the exact number, but it was pretty high as well, mid to upper 40 C. So again, kind of that 115 to 120 range for the first time. Incredible amounts of heat. So it's been a scorcher in a lot of places. And if that's not enough, tropical cyclones and already hurricanes in the Atlantic. Hurricane Elsa doing her thing. Didn't didn't stay a hurricane very long down to tropical storm. But, you know, by the time this, this episode's out, uh, she will probably be starting to impact some of those northern islands in the Caribbean, like Hispaniola and, and Cuba. Expected to make a landfall. It's looking like in Florida. Hopefully, hopefully in all these cases, the intensity won't get back up to hurricane. And maybe, you know, there's always this delicate balance. Beneficial rains without the damaging winds or without too much flooding. You know, it's, it's trade-offs, but hopefully they'll get the best of it. Particularly since it doesn't seem like the initial indications are she's going to get back to hurricane strength. Well, I hope your week's gone well. And whatever it is, whether it's weather specific or whether it's been kind of weather something aha moment, if you want to touch base, what is it about the weather at gmail.com? I'm going to tell you a little story about that before we get too deep. Mark Jelinek also, so you can get me Mark underscore Jelinek on Twitter. What is it about the weather? It's also about Twitter. I do more of the posting. The Twitter feed for the podcast is mostly just, you know, kind of a weekly episode thing, at least right now. That may change. But back to that Gmail. What is it about the weather? Gmail.com. I got an email from somebody who was, and, you know, this happens. I don't get a ton of them, but I get enough to where it's, you know, people trying to sell podcaster stuff or people trying to, it, it doesn't matter what it is. But a lot of them, business wise, are ones that are trying to get podcasters as this industry has become bigger and bigger. Different things, you know, statistics, this, or help you monetize that, whatever it might be. But I got one, and sometimes they're just poorly written, and I, you know, I kind of ditch them. But this one said, you know, it's like, hi, you know, question mark. Didn't, didn't insert my name, even though 
you know, unless you just pull the email off, scrub it off a website, you, you would know that it's pretty much me. But that's fine. It, it was a generic address. It says, I heart your podcast, right? A little, little emoji there. And it went on. And, you know, at first, okay, it cut him slack. And then it goes down and it goes, blah, blah, blah. I think you would be great in the science, and it's in bold text, right? Science category. And I'm, you know, going, okay, clearly at this point. Now, it's not to say we don't talk science. We do talk a lot of science. But you could just tell the way it was written that, that this person probably had never listened to podcasts. And, and I let it slide. I let those things slide. But when someone, like three days later, sends me another follow-up thing saying, I don't know if you missed it, but I sent you this email and, you know, kind of reiterates the same thing. So I wrote back. I don't do it often, but I wrote back because they had sent me two emails. And I said, what exactly? And so I asked them, what do you heart about the podcast? And why do you think we would be a good fit for the science category? Just those two questions, right? And I even tweeted about it myself. I was like, you know, we've got two choices. Someone's going to scramble and actually listen to an episode who clearly had never listened to an episode. Or they're not going to respond. Well, the in-between happened. Then they had the nerve to send me one that said, I think all your questions will be answered in the FAQ, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, hopefully I will probably never hear from them again. But if I do, they'll get some some choice response or I'll just I'll flush it with some sort of thing. Maybe I can spam them in return or something. In any case, that was, it, it made me laugh. But I responded to a couple of things this week that I don't normally respond to, and some of them have, have been favorable. It's gotten me some discounts on things, which I'll take advantage of. And then sometimes you just do it because you're you're frustrated. You just need to get it out. But enough about that. Let's get on to the main topic for today. Now, I introduced the idea of micro forecast, and I and I talked about a car. You know, twenty years no, not twenty years, ten years down the road, not even ten. Car that drives you, right? Takes you somewhere. You don't even have to think about it. Now, do I really think a car is going to be able to detect a lightning strike about him? No, no. But but the idea is pretty simple. Is Where are we with these autonomous vehicles when it comes to how they deal with weather? But more importantly than where we are today probably is where we're going to go. And, and how far will these things go? And, and will their ability to handle weather be good enough, right? Or what will the limits be? Now, over the course of earlier parts this year, back in January, we did a episode about AI-driven forecast. And that was you know on the heels of the American Meteorological Society meeting, and they having this whole group that talked about it. And then in April, did a follow-up with kind of AI machine learning. And I kept saying I was going to get back to this, right? Going to get back to this topic. Maybe with something a little more concrete. And there were two articles that I happened across this week that kind of prompted me to go back to this topic. It, it just was fresh in my mind. First of these was an article, and I've mentioned this the, just recently, this bulletin, the American Meteorological Society. It's, it's kind of the monthly, you know, if you will, rundown of articles in other places, but they, they have these other profile articles. And one of them was about autonomous cars and where they are with 
respect to weather components. And, and it wasn't just about, you know, the science behind it, but it was about how, for instance, an organization like the American Meteorological Society is handling our part of the equation or people within that organization are handling our part of the equation, the different committees that might be involved. Cause, you know, you're talking about safety elements. You're talking about scientific elements, all these sort of things. But it then did also talk about some of the challenges that are involved to really make this happen. Now, this was a refresh of, of an article that this author had written a couple of years ago. And there were a lot, if you look back a couple of years ago, there was, because there was this little meeting that they had, if you will, we have these special topic meetings from time to time. And this was one of the topics. So there's a bunch of articles around that, not just journal articles, but you can look. And I, I may put one or two in the in the show notes. I didn't do a, I mean, I've read a few, but you know, they talk about it was in Wired magazine and you know some others as well that kind of went into you know saw one in Forbes. So it was, a, it was a broad topic. It was kind of a hot item at the time. So that was one of the things. The other one was the first successful flight of a flying car, right? One that. It's interesting. It looks like a road race car. You know, it's kind of got this big extra body behind it and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the wings pop out and it flies and it flew between two airports. I don't remember what the distance was. I'll put a little link in the show notes about that as well. But I really started thinking about, particularly with that flying car, I started thinking about, wow, what's it going to need in terms of weather forecast? Because this is a lighter weight. This is like flying a small, like a Cessna plane from airport to airport. That's very different than what a big jet needs. But I wasn't thinking about it, and and I'm not too worried about the ability to get that personal weather forecast. It'd probably get them from point A to point B safely. When I started thinking about similar challenges that we might run into that we see with just vehicles in general, but as we are looking to autonomous vehicles, that... What if there are a lot of them? So what if a bunch of cars are, you know, taken off and they're, you know, it's it's like some future movie, right, where there's these roadways in the sky and how they might need to think about weather differently, right? Because if they're closely spaced and all of a sudden there is a lightning strike, let's say, that hits a car in the air and it's not, maybe it doesn't do anything. Maybe the car's there, but it's going to temporarily cause something. Or if there's a gust of wind, because these are lighter vehicles and these things are maybe potentially flying it at lower elevations and close to each other, how good is that forecast going to need to be to respond? So all that kind of stuff was churning in my head. But let's drop back down to earth for a minute, right? And just think about it just from a simplicity standpoint of just the cars themselves. Because cars and weather have a mm, (laughs) kind of a mixed history, right? And I've, I've been the victim of this. Syracuse, New York, one winter, sitting there. Nissan Pathfinder, hadn't gotten it six months earlier. And I'm watching this car behind me, right, come around a turn. There's a big turn in the interstate right in the middle of the city. And just knew there was no, the roads had enough snow. There was no way they were going to stop. I could see that they were coming too fast and weren't going to have the time because the roads were slick. And sure enough, the person hit me. Thankfully, they were able to get most of the speed out of it, but weather-related accident, right? And about it's estimated about maybe 25% of wrecks on the road today are still caused by weather. So a lot, right? A meaningful number. 
And even if you put that aside for a moment, how many of us have this in this modern era? And I'm, I'm, when I say modern era, the last 20 to 30 years, we all have these thermometers in our car, or that's what you thought, right? There's this thing that tells you how hot it is outside. But I, I'm sure anybody who's in an, a warm area has noticed that the temperatures in particular, when it gets hot outside, always seem to be maybe a little hotter than it is. Or you just don't know. It's like, where's the sensor? And, you know, how much of that is heat coming off the, the asphalt of the road surface? How much of it is something coming out of the engine block? Well, for the most part, those sensors are actually not thermometers, not what you would think of in terms of a traditional thermometer. And there's different ways to measure temperature. And one of them that you find in electronics is a thermistor. It's not an actual thermometer. And it takes a measurement based on the way the signal between two electronic connections is behaving. And that relationship tells it a little bit about the temperature and what's going on. Okay. But that also doesn't mean it's not susceptible to air being trapped underneath and that air being at a temperature that's not realistic to what's going on outside. So, yeah, it's always why they tell you to take it a little bit with a grain of salt because it's, it's in the ballpark, but it's not particularly accurate. And you know, I had one this past week where we were really warm and I you know, saw it on the screen, 109 degrees Fahrenheit. And I knew it wasn't that hot outside. But I was sitting in a hot location. You know, the engine had been on for a while. So all that heat was within that space. And it probably wasn't getting out of that compartment particularly easy. So even if the sensor was somewhat accurate, it was being influenced by that. Now, as we've made this migration to these autonomous cars, and not just that, but, but the cars in general, any of them that use some sort of assist, and assist has been going on for a while, right? This is, it's not new technology where the cars would back into the space or you know, you even started seeing it with the cameras when you go into reverse. That was probably one of the first things, right? It was, it was a neat thing. So you didn't run over something or more importantly, someone, especially like a child or something. But as we've added all that technology, Part of that is things like just regular optical cameras, but other things like LIDAR, right, which we use in the weather industry, but you don't use it just in weather. You use it to sense the distance between you and the car in front of you. That's how a car knows that it, you know, it's going to put on the brake automatic braking system, right? But anybody, whether it's even the cars that don't have that, that have seen those incorrect temperatures or that have seen these more modern sensors, they don't always get it right. And I've got a car now that has some of that stuff. And I know I wouldn't count on that technology where it stands today to be more autonomous. Because anytime it rains, anytime there's a sudden change in the lighting behavior, okay? So when we go from maybe it's a cloudy day and all of a sudden the clouds break and it's really sunny or you come out from a tunnel, and all of a sudden it's very bright. And they tell you a lot of these things. I know in the manual for my car, it doesn't depend on that. It tells you these are these are the weak spots. So if you're going to count on this thing, just be aware that it's going to fail under these circumstances or not necessarily fail, but it's going to be prone to errors. And there have been some cases where I still haven't quite figured it out. I really do think that, as an example, in the wintertime when the sun angle is lower 
and it's coming in on the windshield, it tends to see things differently and gets impacted differently than it does in the middle of the summer when the sun angles are much higher. And I've noticed this with the performance. So how are we going to deal with all that stuff, right? So you've got this instantaneous response need. These sensors need to be, they need to handle contrast better. And this is, this is what one of those articles, the article that talked about the cars, gets into, right? Some of the challenges. So it's what can it see, but it's also probably maybe even more importantly from a weather, and I'm talking weather stuff, because clearly it needs to see an obstacle in front of it. And those are the things that kind of get the high press, right, is... There was the episode where an autonomous car ran into somebody, right? And those stories are always going to get the news, but that's probably the exception. It's probably not the norm, okay? And it's not been something that's reported again and again, but you're going to hear about it because a human's involved and a human's impacted by it. But what about the weather component, right? What about the ability of that car to sense when the roads have become flooded, or there's enough moisture on it that it's going to change the driving conditions, or the temperature is shifted such that it's gone from above freezing to below freezing on a wet road, and now the amount of time it takes to break is going to be different. All those things, right? So how do you deal with that? So we're going to have this need for the instantaneous response, which I think is where a lot of the focus is today, because there's focus on it both in driving safety, just in the things around it, Okay, so why not work on it with respect to weather? But it, that's really just kind of the first step because if you really want autonomous cars, one of the benefits is not that just that you wouldn't have to drive, but you know how, how many of us have ever you know used Google Maps or whatever mapping program you use, and it tells you to go on some route because there's a wreck, right? It, it suggests an alternative, and it takes you places that you've never even thought about going, even if it's an area you're very familiar with, and it. A lot of times get you there faster. It doesn't always. And sometimes it's sending you a route that's like, you look at it and you go, I'm not going there because I know it doesn't go anywhere. And if you really want the autonomous car to provide the ultimate value, you want it to do that. And I gave you that lightning strike example. That may not happen, but let's say that the weather conditions are changing on a road. And you go through a part of town that has a lot of overpasses. And I can think growing up in Atlanta, we used to have this intersection called Spaghetti Junction where there, there was these elevated roadways that were prone to freezing before the standard roads were, where you would want to avoid that. And you would want to avoid the roads that fed into those because it would always lead to backup. And it almost always did. So you would want your car to take you a different way. Maybe you do go to surface roads that day. Maybe you never get on the interstate to begin with. And you want the car to have thought that out. That's the whole point. So you don't have to think about it. How does it know to do that? Right? And how might it be able to see that that's coming even if it hasn't happened yet. And how does your car know that all of a sudden there's a flash flood storm happening, you know, a mile away where there's this huge thunderstorm happening that maybe it's completely dry where you are, right? But how does it know where that's going? Or if it's a stationary thing versus a moving thing, because the car is going to need to do it to not put you in a situation going forward. It's not just about the immediate. It's about what's going to happen in the next five or 10 minutes. And it doesn't need to know the whole city. You're not dealing with the whole city. Even worse case, you know, you're going to work. And even in that, let's just say you got 10 miles left to get between you and the office. That's all it cares about. So it's not like it needs to run a weather forecast for the whole world. It needs to do it for this little tiny space. 
right? And how are the cars going to be able to do that? Will they be able to do it? So, you know, you want to avoid the problem to begin with. You want need to have good quality forecasts that are changing in real time. Is it going to happen? So I got my brain thinking, all right, what will it take really to make this happen? And I think the first thing still is better sensors in the car. Now, I, I think they're working well on the visual sensors or the sensors it needs to see things. Still think there's a problem with contrast. It's consistently when I hear these stories, it's because it can't deal with it in this change of light situation. So you've got to have a way that doesn't use just visual range. And I do think like counting on, on a combination of LIDAR and optical is one of the ways it's doing that, right? So like I said, I think some of that stuff is happening. But it's not just that. It is having better temperature sensors. Because why? Those sensors are going to need to feed whatever forecast it's going to do. And we'll get to that in a moment. But if a Tesla can have a freaking dog mode, and it does, you know, we have, I have a friend that, that has one, right? And the, it will tell you, right, if you walk by, it'll say the car is in dog mode. Don't worry, the dog is in 70 degrees and our, the owner will be back. I mean, I think it's great that it does that, right? And so if it can tell you the temperature inside the car, it needs to be able to do it outside and do it effectively, right? But also be able to do the other things. How is the humidity changing as we're going along? So I think, you know, we all have, we've watched radio antennas change to where they went from this traditional little thin stick to the kind of the satellite radio antenna, one that's on the back of the car in many cases, kind of got that little fin to it. But there's no reason that we can't get better sensors into the vehicles, right? And I got this example. I've got this one of these things coming. I you know, did this thing Kickstarter, so I'll, I'll see how it is. But it's, and it's, it can go on the car. It can go on the bike. I don't know how good it's going to be. I hope it is. I hope it is. I hope it's that good because that to me is kind of the future where it needs to go. You're, you need to have a little personal weather station on your car. It's got to have that to do the next steps. And the next step is to have your car be able to produce a weather forecast. I know it sounds crazy, but if you start thinking about the ability to limit the conditions of the grid is only so big and I don't need to think five hours down the road. Yeah, I can do that, but I can pull that from a central computer, but I need to be thinking about the next five to 10 to 15 minutes, whatever it might be. So I need to be able to produce a forecast quickly and be able to adapt quickly, whatever that is. So the, let's get past the instantaneous response because they're going to need to do that. But all the cars have computers now. And, the, you know, the amount of computing power in the car continues to grow. And there's no reason to think your car will not just have a personal computer that's strong enough and powerful enough to run a little mini weather forecasting model. Now, your sensor in your car probably alone is not going to be enough. And maybe it gets some things from a central location. But we've got this challenge of sometimes the optimal time for getting these weather forecasts is when weather's bad, which can also interfere with communication to some central data bank that's feeding other things around. And they've talked about these things with smart roads, with sensors on the road. And I think that's a wonderful idea. But I also envision that we have this potential challenge that I don't know how cost effective it's going to be or how long it's going to take for governments to roll out these smart road sensors. Great idea. I hope that's where it goes because I think it's relevant. But I also think what you're going to see is the cars, and I'm hoping there'll be some interoperability, and this isn't just car, trucks, whatever it is, are going to be able to communicate with one another. 
And they're going to say, hey, I'm at 80 degrees. The humidity is at 90%. The wind is at X percent. And, you know, we the road is generally dry, though. I don't have any con- conditions with that that are impacting things. But it's also going to have enough of those weather components. And then it's going to pull all the cars in the, the vicinity that it needs, whatever that grid size is. And they're all going to feed that information back, right? Whether it's using cell towers or whether it's just using some car to car, whatever the communication is going to be. Heck, it could, well, Bluetooth is probably not realistic, but I don't know. I don't know. Some way to communicate with that smaller data set of relevant data around it. And hopefully with some smart road devices to take all that instantaneous weather data that's of high quality, of course, because that's what we're looking for, and hopefully be able to give a forecast that's of a range that decisions can be made. Like I said, these are not going to impact what it can do in the next mile, but it might impact what it can do five miles down the road and if it does need to make a deviation for weather that's in a changing condition. Or... Maybe there is a bigger data pool it's going back to for stuff that's, you know, if you're going on a road trip 30 minutes or an hour down the road so that you don't think about it. And you know, the only challenge is going to be that you kind of remind the car, hey, I need to go to the bathroom, or this is when I was planning to make a, a, a stop to, to pick up food or whatever it is. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where we go. And I just hope that what we hear about in 2030 is how well – these cars handle weather information and get the forecast relevant to the car, however method, whatever method it is. Like I said, I think some of it might actually take place in the car to make the vehicle not only safe, but more efficient from not just energy it uses, but in terms of you, your time and how it gets you from point A to point B so that you're not stuck in the car all day. So when you take that Tesla for a drive or test drive. If you've never played with one before, don't forget there's much more to weather than the weather itself.